Blog Talk Radio. in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Welcome everybody to the Remnant Call. I'm your host, Brother Frank. Glad to be here with you. And folks, if you didn't catch last week's episode... And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. I'm your host, Brother Frank, and I've got a special guest tonight, Messianic Rabbi Zev Parat, all the way in from Israel via the phone. And uh, he will, though, be coming here soon. We'll talk about that to the uh, here the Watchman Conference in Dallas, Texas, which is coming up, and we'll speak about that at the end of the program. But Zev was kind enough to bless us with uh, some information that he's got going on right now and the new book that him and Pastor Carl Gallus have out, and also about a feast that's not always very well known that's coming up here this month in March. Zev's going to share a little bit about that with us. Well, I just want to get started because we got a lot to cover tonight, and so I'm going to bring Zev right here into this show. Zev, are you here with us? Shalom, Brother Frank. It's an honor and a blessing to be here, as always. Shalom, brother. I really appreciate you. God bless you, and thank you so much for coming on here in the show. Zev, we've got a lot to cover this evening, and I want to just remind our guests a little bit about you. For those who may not know, uh, it's been a few months since you've been on here, Zev. If you don't know him, he is a Messianic rabbi in Israel. He's the founder of the Messiah of Israel Ministries, and he was born in Israel into the Sanhedrin's family and raised in Benai Barak, one of the most Jewish Orthodox cities in Israel. His grandfather, Rabbi Pinchas Parat, was a Holocaust survivor who later became one of the heads of the Sanhedrin in Israel. Certified as his Jewish rabbi, Zev never truly experienced the presence of God and drifted away from Judaism, but that all changed when Zev had a number of supernatural encounters that brought him to the faith in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, Zev found the Messiah of Israel Ministries, one of the very few Messianic congregations actively preaching the gospel publicly in Israel today. 
Over the many years, Messiah of Israel Ministries has been reaching Holocaust survivors, IDF soldiers, discipleship programs, Messianic congregations, and much more with the truth of Messiah Yeshua. Zev teaches from a unique biblical Hebrew foundation perspective of our faith in Yeshua, and I am excited to have him on tonight. Zev, you just came out with a new book that you co-authored with uh, Carl Gallup's called The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and The Identity of Messiah. Now, Zev, this is kind of a dovetail from another book, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. Explain to us a little bit about what did you and Carl do with this new book that was different than what you all did before? Well, first of all, I'd like to a little bit explain for those who don't know who Rabbi Kaduri is or was. Rabbi Kaduri was one of the most venerated rabbis in modern-day Israel in the past 200 years. This wasn't some rabbi just tucked away in the bowels of Jerusalem. This was a rabbi that people looked up to, uh, non-Orthodox Jews, which means secular Jews in Israel, rabbis in Israel looked up to him for authority. They went to him. The Ashkenazi rabbis, the Sephardic rabbis, they all went to Rabbi Kaduri for the top of authority. Of course, before he was a believer in Yeshua and Jesus, he uh, was a Kabbalistic, a Kabbalah uh, a teacher, and a lot of people like to ask, how can it be that God revealed himself to a Kabbalah uh, teacher? Well, how can it be that God revealed himself to someone that was murdering Christians on the Damascus Road? Paul, it's the same thing. God reveals himself to those in need. And Rabbi Yitzhak Aduri was one who was teaching in error, but later on had that Damascus Road experience. It's all documented in the book. So he was one of the most venerated rabbis in modern-day Israel. If you know anything about uh, the Jewish people that don't believe in Yeshua and Jesus, you think they understand the Bible, they read the Bible. Well, they read the Bible under rabbinic interpretations. So they have books that interpret the Bible and books that interpret the books that interpret the Bible. That's how they read the Bible, such as some of these books you heard of, the Zohar, the Talmud, the Gemara, some of these books. But Rabbi Kaduri was the top commentator, the top rabbi of Israel. Even basketball coaches from Israel went to him for blessing. Benjamin Netanyahu went to him for, uh, for a blessing. He, was, he, he always blessed the prime ministers of Israel. Everybody went to him. He was the top authority. And he, left a, he had a visitation in 2005, 2004, a visitation from the Messiah. He told his son, David Kaduri, David Kaduri, I know who the Messiah is. He's visited me. Well, in 2005, he stood up in a synagogue in the most holy day, according to the Jews, holy days, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he said something unbelievable, something that would be a stoning offense, according to the Jews. He, for, number one, people need to understand that rabbis don't stand up in a synagogue and give a message. They read from the Torah scroll. So the fact that he was already preaching a message is unusual. The fact that he was doing it in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is supernatural. The fact that what he said, he's still alive after he said it, is more supernatural. What did he say? Well, basically, he didn't quote Isaiah 53 directly, but he was in a paraphrasing way saying that we cannot get atonement of sins from prayer, from works. That's what he was saying, and I'm just paraphrasing it. It's all documented in the book exactly what he said. And basically, he said that we need blood for atonement of sins, and he knows who the Messiah is. The Messiah has met him, and he will reveal it to Israel after his death. Well, not too long later on in 2006, he passed away at the age of 108. And nobody would, uh, could imagine that he would leave a note 
or that he would have a visitation that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, is God. And so they took the note, and it was, it was, he would reveal that the note had to be opened a year after his burial. And there's a reason for that. It's also in the book, The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of the Messiah. It explains why they waited a year, what's behind that. It's all de- uh, documented in the book. To make a long Amen. story short, he opens, after one year, they take the note. They put it on his website, kaduri.net. Screenshots are taken of it. I'm, I'm sure that many of the rabbis, many of the leaders in Israel thought maybe he's going to say, I'm the Messiah. Maybe I'm the one who's coming in. Everybody, nobody could imagine it was Jesus. Well, a, a few months, it was on his website, and then they took it, weeks or months, uh, it's in the book, and then they took it off his website and they de- decoded it. Now, it was in a decoded format. Why? Well, number one, because in his yeshiva, yeshiva is a ministry school for, for rabbis, in his yeshiva, he was secretly teaching to a small sector of Jews that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. And if he would leave a note, and the note would say, Jesus is the Messiah, they would have took that note, they would have just ripped it up, nobody would ever read it, it would never hit his website. And, and so God had him do it in a decoded format. The students look at, at what the note says, and it's all in the book. You can see the note, you can see the, the formula in English and Hebrew for decoding it. And when they took the six letters, and in Hebrew, spelled the word Yehoshua or Yeshua. Yehoshua is a long version, and we get into the book, Yehoshua, Yeshua, they're the same. How are they the same? What do scholars say? What does the Hebrew say? What is it? It's all in the book documented. If somebody's listening to this right now, and he's thinking in the back of his mind, I'm Yehoshua or Yeshua, that will be answered in the book. Now, what is the difference? When they, when they read the note that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah, that's when the media did everything they can. The rabbinic movement in Israel did everything they can to suppress, to stop this story from not hitting the streets. It's all in the book. Now, that was this story can also be found in the first book. But since the first book was written by Pastor Carl Galvis, the rabbi who found Messiah, so much has happened. So many uh, um, evidence, new evidence has come up. The deep state in Israel have done everything to cover it up. Um, rabbis have been coming to faith. Muslims have been coming to faith. There is a revival in Israel, and the Sanhedrin or the rabbinic movement in Israel do not want you to know, know about it. So to answer your question, what is the difference between the first book and the second book? Well, it's the same story because the story doesn't change, but there's new evidence, new cover-ups, new material. We have, uh, we have evidence that they took the note in a Kabbalistic ritual and they burned it in the Dead Sea. It's all documented in the book. So that is the difference. So many people like to ask, if I didn't read the first book, can I read the second book? Well, they absolutely, because the, the second book actually tells you in a, in a nutshell what's in the first book, but it's expanded. There's also uh, Hebrew lessons in there. There's also how to witness the Jewish people. There's also how Carl and I got together, what the ministries are doing, and it just keeps on expanding. Why? Because this is not just a book. This is something from God. Now, we're not saying that Rabbi Kaduri is the one that, that's bringing in the gospel. What we are saying is that the Jews want to know what the rabbis have to say. So God had the most venerated rabbi in modern-day history reveal that the name of the Messiah is Yeshua, is Jesus. So Jews read this revelation. They go to the written word of God, and bam, the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, and they're saved. 
the book, The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of the Messiah. It's an evangelistic book. It's a book that teaches uh, believers how to pray for Israel. It tells you what the deep state in Israel. It shows you the cover-ups. It shows you the mystery. There's also um, more evidence that a newspaper in Israel eliminated information, eliminated information from the news because they were being harassed, they were being persecuted by the anti-missionary organization Yad Lachim, founded the deprogrammed believers in Israel. That's all in the book as well. My story is in the book. Uh, more people that have joined into this book and, and bringing the book to Israel, everything's in the book, the rabbi, the secret message, and the identity of the Messiah. And the second book, this book is just a, a, a longer version, longer expansion, and more deep understanding. The first book was, was great, showed a lot of the history of Rabbi Kaduri. This book shows what's been happening from the time that Kaduri left the note until today. And as we're speaking, Brother Frank, as we're speaking right now, the story is continuing to expand and expand and expand because God's hand is upon this story in order to bring Jews into faith in Messiah Yeshua and in order to encourage the believers around the world that their prayers are working. Jews and Arabs are being saved like never before and to understand what is their role as the one new man? What is their role as spiritually Israel in the end times? How can we be effective? How can we pray for Israel? What do we need to do? What is God calling us to do? It's all in the book, the rabbi, the secret message, and the identity of the Messiah. Zev, what's interesting to me is that knowing the from the time that the first book came out, and which you used a lot to witness uh, to many, many Jews over there about this note, because everybody had such faith and trust, God providentially had you come into contact with Rabbi Kaduri's students that actually were aware that Yeshua was the Messiah. Tell us about how that came to be, that you were actually got in to meet these students that had been directly studying under the rabbi. Well, there are many, many uh, uh, stories uh, documented in the book about that. Uh, we'll give one example right now. As I said, they were doing everything they can to suppress the truth. And this comes in when I came one time uh, from outreach at 11 p.m. in Tel Aviv. And an Orthodox man approaches my window, and he sticks a flyer in my window of Rabbi Yitzchak Kaduri. And I immediately turned to him, and I said, I can't ex accept this flyer. And he says, why not? And I said, because I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And he looks at me, and he says, so do I. We met over the light, and I found out that he was a student in Rabbi Kaduri's yeshiva. Yeshiva is the ministry school for rabbis. And Rabbi Kaduri was secretly teaching to a small group that Yeshua is the Messiah. I found out that he wasn't teaching the full gospel, meaning he didn't teach the resurrection. Why? I believe he was preparing that sector of people for the note, for the gospel to be preached. And, I, and so this student met with me. He got saved. He brought in more students. We now have over 13 students that are already saved. Some of them are on the Internet. A lot of them are uh, in, in going through persecution right now. The whole story is in the book. There are students of Rabbi Kaduri's yeshiva that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. But since that time, so many salvations have come in. So much has happened. Zev, share with us because in a way – from the things I've known for about you for some years, and uh, since the first book came out, 
And we know that the Lord has had a work over in Israel for some years, but it's been tough and slow going. But it seems like the Lord's kind of kicking open the doors and opening up to revival over there in Israel, which seems to all line up with what the scriptures uh talking about, where you know that the, that there will come a day when they will weep for him whom they have pierced. And, and I believe that applies to all of us uh too. But how is the Lord what what's going on in Israel right now with the way of revival? Um is it just one or two that have come or is God really starting to reach people over in there in masses? Well I can tell you that our ministry and Carl Gallup's ministry are being monitored all the time. And before this book, this book came out in the beginning of February. And I can tell you that before the book was even published, the rabbinical movement in Israel, the Sanhedrin, were shaking. Why were they shaking? Because there was a revival in Israel. And they know that if this book, if this story, the rabbi, the secret message and the identity of the Messiah hits the streets of Israel, Something is going to happen. People are going to see the evidence in this book, and they're going to go to the written word of God, and something's going to happen because the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, I'm not, I'm not speaking even 1% of what's in the book. It's shocking, this book. I can tell you, when you read this book, you know, Tom Horn, which is the publisher, Defender Publisher, says if you didn't know that this was a true documented story, you'd think it was a, it was, it was a, fi- it was a fiction novel. It's, it's unbelievable. It's supernatural what, what God is doing through this rabbi, through this book, and through the revival in Israel. So to answer your question, there is a revival. The Sanhedrin are scared of the book. The book has not yet hit the streets of Israel. It's not yet. We're waiting for a shipment to come in. Whether we're going to bring the book in, we don't know how the book is going to arrive. It will arrive to Israel. And once that book arrives to Israel, we're going to start expanding that book all over. Before the book has even hit the streets of Israel, already there's a revival in Israel because we're in the end times, because we're living in prophetic times, because Jews are being saved like never before, because the Jews are hungry for the truth. Now, in the book, we talk about God's secret name. We talk about the uh, the hidden alphabet, the mystery of the alphabet, the what the rabbis have done in the past 2,000 years to eliminate their own alphabet. Jesus says in the book of Revelation and in the Old Testament, I am the Alpha and the Omega in Hebrew. I mean, Aleph, that top. Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Top is the last letter. Rabbi Yitzchak Aduri used that alphabet. We have evidence that he used that alphabet. We have evidence that it was in a newspaper in Israel. It was all over the net. It, too, has been eliminated. This new cover-up story is in the book. It's unbelievable what they've done to the story of Rabbi Yitzchak Aduri, what they've done to the evidence, and what they have done in the past thousands of years to eliminate their own alphabet because they know that Jesus is the Aleph and the Taf, the Alpha and the Omega, and that's what's happening in Israel right now. Look at the political side. We're seeing what's happening with Benjamin Netanyahu. We're coming into the elections in April, in April 9th. We know that uh, there's a witch hunt against Benjamin Netanyahu. They're trying to indict him. Some places you read that he's been indicted. He has not been indicted yet. He is subject to be indicted under a hearing. That's not an indictment. That's just a gimmick to try to get Benjamin Netanyahu out of office by the left. We understand it's the same thing that's happening to Donald Trump in America. It's the same witch hunt. In, in America, the rules are a little bit different. You may have impeachments. In Israel, you have direct indictments. But this is the first president, the first uh, prime minister in Israel that's in position that is being indicted. Now, Ehud Olmert was the prime minister of Israel. He was indicted. But remember, he was indicted after he was in position, not in position, and certainly not six weeks before the elections. So 
we're looking at the news and what's happening in Israel on the political side. We understand it's spiritual warfare in the background. It's all a battle over Israel. Satan is enraged. He knows his time is near. He knows the days are numbered. We're not setting any dates, but it's all connected. Get on your knees and start praying for Israel. And remember that you're Israel because the Bible says you're grafted into spiritual Israel. We're all the one new man, Ephesians 2.15. So to answer your question, Jews are being saved like never before. And I can tell you just a few days ago, last week, we had a rabbi, a known rabbi, a rabbi alone, rabbi alone in Israel, in the old city area, give his life to Yeshua, to Jesus. This is happening right now in 2019, in the 70th year of the nation of Israel, when they're trying to indict Benjamin Netanyahu, when they're trying to take Trump out. Why? Because Trump is a friend of Israel. Netanyahu is a friend of America. And they're all working together. We're not saying that Trump is an angel. And we're not saying that Netanyahu is an angel. But we are saying that they've been positioned by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for such a time like this. And I don't think that any man can move them. Thus says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Am I saying that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be elected? I don't know. I'm not God. What I am saying is that he has been positioned by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for such a time like this. The dragons in rage. Jews are being saved. That's the most important thing. All glory goes to Jesus, Yeshua. This rabbi who gave his life to Jesus, to Yeshua, it's huge. Why is it huge? Well, it's huge when anybody gets saved, Frank. But one of the, one of the main rabbis gets saved in Israel. That's huge because he has students. You understand the implications of what's going to happen with his salvation. He's now plugged into one of our discipleship programs, very low profile because of persecution. Yes, only two people in that program because of that reason. But he's in his sanctification process. It's a time for the nations to stand and pray with Israel. Psalms 117 says, rejoice, all you, all you nations. You need to rejoice right now because we know that the time is near. Every Jew, every person, every soul that's being saved, we're getting closer and closer to Yeshua's second coming. And this book, the rabbi, the secret message, and the identity of the Messiah reveals all that and much, much more. Amen. Folks, listen, it's not about uh, promoting a book. If you, don't, if you don't know anything about Zev, you will know that you need to know this. His first and foremost uh, reason for being in this earth right now is to save souls for Yeshua. And if Zev can have it in a book that helps bring people, then you know what, folks? We need to get this book, read it, and share it, especially with our Jewish friends. Uh, help us to understand how to witness to Jewish people um, because the Lord loves his Jewish people and the Gentiles. I mean, that's what Zev was talking about. If you're grafted in, we are all a part of Israel both literally been born by blood and those who are grafted in. And if you want to get technical, if you can take the blood all the way back to the beginning, we all intersect at some point. So God is about saving all of Israel. And Zev, I think one of the best programs we ever had uh, on the Remnant Call was one of the early shows, All Israel Shall Be Saved, um, I, I think was the actual program. Folks, if you've never heard that, you've got to listen to that show. Uh, you need to know who you are in Yeshua. It is a wonderful, the mystery is right there in the Bible explained clearly. Uh, Romans chapter 11 lays it all out, and if you're grafted in, you are literally a part of the family. Hallelujah. Well, Zev, this, you're talking about the political landscape of what's going on right now, uh, because there is a feast that's coming up um, that is very widely celebrated in Israel. It's known by some in the U.S. A lot don't know about it, and it's called Purim. Um, it comes out of the book of Esther. And it talked about a time when there was persecution of the Jews uh, back you know, a long time ago. 
And it's also, we just recently, obviously not that long ago, you had family in the Holocaust. My grandfather cleaned out the ovens uh, in the Holocaust uh, during World War II. So people that say the Holocaust never happened, I tell them they're crazy. Uh, it, it, just, it, it, it hurt my grandfather so bad he could never watch anything about it. He'd have to get up and walk out of the room. It tore him up so bad. And um, but there, this how does Purim tie into what's going on right now? Well, we have a madman in Iran that's trying to destroy Israel. Nothing's changed in two thousand years. The story of Esther, the book of, of Purim, the book of Haman, Haman, a madman, a mad Iranian man who tried to destroy Israel. So we see history repeating itself. The Bible speaks about it in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine. There's nothing new under the sun. The story of Esther, first of all, you mentioned the word feast, and uh, it is a feast, but I want to bring out that it's not one of the seven feasts mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, but it is a victory. It is to be celebrated according to the Word of God. It's like the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, which is also not one of the seven feasts, yes, but it's mentioned in the Bible. Jesus celebrated the Feast of Dedication. So it is a it is a, uh, a victory feast, but it's not one of the seven feasts, so it was important for me to bring that out. For those that are looking at Leviticus 23 and trying to find it, you won't find it because it is not one of the seven feasts. It is a victory. The story of Esther is known as one of the books where God's name is not revealed. Well, first of all, if we know, when we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we, we, we always know that everything is focused on Yeshua. So Yeshua is the Word. John 1, verse uh, John 1, 1, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us and walked among us. So he is the Word. The Word is what? From Genesis to Revelation. So when you see that God's name is not written in the book of Esther, it has to be there because Jesus is the Word and the Word is everything. God's name is all over the book of Esther. His fingerprints are everywhere in that, not in a direct visible way, but in a supernatural way, and we'll touch on that a little bit today. First of all, we need to understand that it's not really called the book of Esther. It's actually called the scroll of Esther. And the word for scroll in Hebrew is the word Megillah. And we'll have some of this on the, on the screen for the viewers to, to, to watch. So the word for Megillah, uh, scroll is the word Megillah. So it's actually in Hebrew called Megillah Estel, which is called the scroll of Esther. Now, the word scroll means... In Hebrew, the word Megillah means revealed or hidden. So actually, that which is hidden shall be revealed. That's why it's called the scroll of Esther, because God's name is hidden, but it's revealed in a supernatural way. That which is, that's why it's called Megillah Estel, the scroll of Esther. Now we look at the name of Esther. Esther, Esther means in Hebrew, to, it means hidden, from the word lahastil. So Megillat Esther means the hidden revelation, and the book and the name Esther actually means Lastil to hide. So Esther's name is hidden; her identity is hidden, and that's why it's called the story of Esther. So it's very important to uh, to bring that out when you understand that significance in the story of Esther. So that which is hidden shall be revealed. We think about Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter twelve, verse four, and. It says, but, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Why is he saying that? Because the mystery of the end time has not yet come. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. So as, 
as we're getting closer and closer to the second coming of Yeshua, of Jesus, we see that that mystery is being revealed more and more to us. There is an amazing amount of duplications in the book of Esther. And again, we spoke about Ecclesiastes 1.9, that everything that was will happen again. In the book of Esther, there's also an amazing amount of duplications. We see these, uh, and these duplications are connected with the book of Revelation also. We can see the book in Esther 1.10. Uh, we see that there is uh, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his people to uh, come in the presence. And then we see in 1.14, and we're close, and at 1.14 again, he calls the servants again in Esther 1.14. That's a duplication. We see in Esther 2.10 that Esther hid her identity. Esther did not make known to her people her kindred. For Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. That's in Esther chapter 2, verse 10. We look at, again, a duplication in Esther chapter 2, verse 20. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, for Mordecai commanded her. We see that again. So there's an amazing amount of duplications in the book of Esther, which shows us that these things will happen again. And we see that they're happening again, even in, in history today. As we said, a madman from Iran tried to eliminate the Jewish people. And today we have a madman from Iran trying to eliminate in Israel. So that is the hidden uh, revelation in the scroll of Esther, in the book of Esther. In the book of Revelation, uh, 1 verse 11, he says, write these revelations to, to the church, to the church. Okay, so again, we see that it's connected to the book of Revelation prophetically. So as we said, Megillah Estel means Esther means to conceal. Megillah means to reveal. The revelation of that which is hidden shall be revealed. And the big question, where is God in all this? We're going to see that God's fingerprints are all over the book of Esther. And we saw that, first of all, in the duplication. But we also see that in Esther 2.14, in the second house, they show the woman. Okay, if you read Esther 2, uh, 2.14, it talks about the women. In Esther 2.19, there's a duplication again when the virgins were gathered the second time. So we see the duplication after duplication. There are two unscheduled appearances before the king. And we know what happens in the Bible if you have an unscheduled appearance before a king, you can be hanged. You can die for that, for going to the king unscheduled. And yet we see that Esther, two unscheduled appearances before the king. First appearance we see in Esther chapter 5, verse 2. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out his scepter, which means when he held out his scepter, it means that she can come forth. If he didn't hold out his scepter, she would have to die. And in Esther 8, verse 3 and 4, then Esther spoke to the king again and fell at his feet, and she wept and pleaded with him for the mercy. And once again, he extended the golden scepter before her. Twice Haman's head was covered in the book of Esther. Esther 6, verse 12 and 13. And we read again in Esther 9, 10. Then the ten sons of Haman's son, the Haggagite, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not. Okay, so we, we see again that there's a duplication here. Esther, excuse me, it's Esther 9.13. Esther asks the permission to hang Haman's sons, just like Haman. So there's a duplication there. Another thing we want to bring out, it happened in Iran, Iran in uh, Shusan. And we're going to see in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 2, and I saw in a vision when I was in Shushan, in the palace. Where's Shushan? Shushan, the palace, 
is where Esther was. Esther 1, verse 2. In the days as King Ahasuerus sat on the royal throne in Shushan, in the palace. So Daniel was in the same place as Esther. Now, Brother Frank, showing the days of peace, Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Shushan, in the palace. So Daniel was in the same place where Esther was. Different time frame. Same place. Now let's fast forward to Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1. The word of Nehemiah, son of, okay, in the month of Kislev, in the 12th year, I was in Shushan in the palace. So we see that Nehemiah, Daniel, and Esther were all in the same place. That's prophetic pointing to something very prophetic, showing us that nothing's changed over the past 2,000 years. It's the same spirit moving all through history. In fact, did you know that the story of Purim and the book of Esther really has its roots in the book of Genesis even? Because God says he declares the end from the beginning, and that's in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning. And Ecclesiastes 1.9 we went over that. Everything that was will happen again. So the root of Purim is actually has its roots in the book of Genesis. You have the seed, and then you have the tree, but the whole seed is inside the tree. It just needs to grow. The whole story of Purim is in the seed form of Genesis, and we're going to have a look at that now. The first time Amalek is mentioned in is actually 100 years before he is born. Now let's have a look at that in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verse 7. They turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadosh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amaleks. Well, you know, the Amalek wasn't born yet. Amalek is born in Genesis 36, verse 12. So Esau's son, Elpas, also had named, had a concubine named Timah in Hebrew, who bore him Amalek. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife. So we see he is mentioned before he's born. Now we see he's born. Now let's, let's see how incredible God is, because this ties in prophetically. Genesis 14, verse 7, it shows us where Amalek is, is first mentioned. He conquered the Amaleks. Amalek is born in Genesis chapter 36, verse 12. Hebrew is right to left. Do you know from the very first time he's mentioned in Genesis 14, 7, to the final time he's mentioned in Genesis 36, verse 12, there are 12,110 Hebrew letters. You know what's incredible? That is the exact same number of all the letters in the book of Esther in Hebrew, 12,110. God is speaking to us about Amalek. It's incredible. So God's fingerprints are all over the story of Esther, but you have to look at it prophetic. You think about Jesus when he was in ministry. He asked Simon Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, "You you, you are the son of God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for what? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you by my Father in heaven. In the same way, if we want to see God's fingerprints all over the book of Esther, we have to look with prophetic eyes because God's fingerprints are all over the book of Esther, as we just saw, 12,110 letters, just like in Genesis, revealing the name of Amalek. What's so significant about Amalek? We'll touch about that right now because in the book of Esther, Amalek is all over the book. Esther... And we're going to see that before, before something I want to bring out. Only does Amalek appear directly before his birth. Not only Amalek appears before his birth, 
Also, Haggad appears before his birth. Before his birth, he's, he appears 400 years before he's born. In Numbers, chapter 24, verse 7, we see Balaam prophesying over Israel a blessing. Water will flow from their, from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Haggad. Haggad wasn't born yet. He's prophesying over Haggad 400 years before Haggad is born. Haggad didn't show up till Saul, till 400 years later. Cyrus is also mentioned 100 years before he was born. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, that is what the Lord says to his anointed Cyrus. That's before he was born. So there is a, a connection over here, and we're going to look at that connection right now. And, uh, Brother Frank, I hope we're going to have this on the screen uh, for the viewers uh, to see this, uh, this chart that I have over here. So we have a chart of the Amaleks, and we see that the Amalek is about 2000 B.C., roughly 2000 B.C. at the time of, of uh, Abraham Haggad is uh, 1,500 years later, the time of Moses. We move 1,000 years later, the Haggag, uh, time of Saul. And then we move another 500 years, and we reach Haman, Esther. Now, Haman is a Haggagite. He is a direct line of the Amaleks, but he's a royal line because Haggag was king. An Amalek is from the royal line of Haggag. So if you read that he's a Haggagite, a Haggagite is an Amalek. It's very important to bring that out. Remember, the Amaleks raised their hands against God's people when? When did, did Amalek and Haggag raise their hands against God? Let's have a look at, at Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek fought against Israel. Where's the first time Amalek appears in the Bible? When Israel is freed from bondage. They're in the desert, and Amalek attacks them. And God, and then and in Exodus 17, verses 14 and 15, and I'm paraphrasing, Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my Nisa, he said. The Lord had sworn the Lord will have war against who? Amalek from generation to generation. So God is saying in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, that he'll have war with Amalek for gen from generation to generation. That's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing through history that Amalek keeps on trying to destroy Israel. That spirit is moving from one place to another, as we saw the Amaleks moving from the time of, of Abraham all the way to the time of Esther, and they're still moving in history right now. In fact, even if you trace it, but we know the promise of the Bible. We know what will happen to the Amaleks. We know what will happen to Haman. We know what will happen to all those that are against Israel. We see this in the book of Obadiah, chapter 1, verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. And we know that we see that also in Psalms, Tehillim, chapter 83, verse 3, uh, verse, uh, chapter 83, verses 3 to 7. They have taken crafty counsel against my people and consumed against my hidden ones. Well, who are the hidden ones? He's referring back prophetically to the hidden story of the book of Esther by hidden ones, but he's also referring to future. So we see again that the story of Amalek, God said, I will wipe out the name of Amalek from under heaven. That's a promise in the Bible. So if we read the book of Deuteronomy, we see that we see that it's not in chronological order. First, he says that he'll have war against Amalek from generation to generation. 
And then, but before he says that, if you go back a few Bible verses in verse 14, he says, I will wipe out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So he's giving us a recipe saying, okay, you're going to have war against Amalek from generation to generation. That's what we're seeing now. And if we look at it with spiritual eyes, you mentioned Romans 11, Brother Frank, the war against Israel is not just against the Jewish people. It's against the body of Yeshua. That's the real war here. If you're grafted into Israel, the war is against you. And that's what we're seeing. But we have a promise in the Bible also in the same chapter, two verses back. I will wipe out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And we know that God is coming back to take back everything that the enemy has stolen and wipe out once and for all Amalek, which is Satan. So we have to understand prophetically that the story of Esther is a victory of the Jewish people, but it is also a victory for us as believers in Yeshua HaMashiach. Very significant for us to understand. And once again, God's name is all through the book of Esther. So even though it's not literally said, it's implied and revealed throughout the pages uh, of the book of Esther. And that's powerful. Uh, never, ever heard the tie to Amalek before uh, the first time. So, Brother Zev, I, I was learning at, right then, and I appreciate that. Well, um, praise, praise, praise Yeshua. Now, we know, what, we know the story. We know that king, uh, the king uh, receives Esther, and Esther goes to plead for her life. And, and for the life of, uh, of her uh, Jewish people, and she reveals to the king that she's Jewish and the plot of Haman. But when she goes and she says, if I perish, I perish, and we know what happens. We know that uh, the king gets very, very upset at Haman. But I want to focus on Esther chapter 5, verse 4. Esther said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, in Hebrew... It reads like this, and we'll have it on the screen. Yavo hamelech vehaman hayom. And so it says, let the and this. Okay, so if we see on the screen over here, I have the first letter, Yavo, is a yud. It's enlarged. The second letter, haman, hamelech, is hey. The third letter is vehaman, it's a vav. And the last letter is a hey, hayom. So we're going to see how God is the one who instructed instructed Esther to go and why the king agreed, because God's fingerprints are all over it. In fact, the letters spell Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, Yavo, Hamelech, Vehaman, Hayom. They spell the name of God, the great Yahweh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. So when Esther came to the king and said, if it pleases the king, she was actually saying, in the name of the Lord, I'm coming. The great yud vav the great Yahweh, he was right there in the midst of it. And that's why her life was spared. That's why the king agreed. And that's why Haman was hanged. Because Obadiah wow. 115 says, as you have done to Israel, shall be done to you. So God's name is, is revealed in the book of Esther in a supernatural way. If it pleases the king, May the king and Amman come to the banquet today. And we know that in the book of Revelation, there's another banquet, the banquet of those who don't believe in Yeshua, that will be fed to the, uh, to the birds. And that's the banquet here that we see in Esther 5.4. Haman was fed to the birds. But we look at the victory banquet where we're going to reign with Yeshua forever and evermore as the victorious bride. Prophetically, it's pointing to the book of Revelation to our victory in Jesus and Yeshua. Wow, that that's powerful, and I'm looking forward to that. 
Folks, there is two feasts, and which one are you going to be a part of? The one where the Lord serves you or the one where you're going to be served up? And that's not the one you want to be a part of, for sure. Uh, Zeb, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting. Um, we have direct evidence in the New Testament of Yeshua's uh, involvement in John 10, 22 of, uh, of the actual Feast of Hanukkah. Um, and there's uh, some interesting debate, folks. If you ever want to go look it up, some research on John uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, there's an unknown feast, uh, named feast. Um, it happened on, um, on the Shabbat. Uh, it, it, they looked back in history, and the only time that they can find a feast and during this time that fell on that day, uh, they believe was possibly Purim. So there may be some New Testament evidence. Um, the you know it's still out on that, but if you ever want to look it up, uh, it's just some very interesting stuff in the Word of God. We read in Revelation chapter nineteen, verse seventeen. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried out with a loud voice, saying, "To all the birds which fly in the mid heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God." Okay, so we see this. Now we see that. If we go trace the generations, we know that uh, uh, Goliath is connected to the Amaleks. He is connected to the Amaleks. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 44, Then the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and of the beasts of the field. Why did he say that? Because Satan knows the Bible. He knows there's going to be a dinner. And he's, the same thing that's going to happen to him He's wishing on, he's, he's proclaiming on David. He said, I'll feed you to the birds. But actually what happened, he was fed to the birds. And we know what happened, the victory of King David defeating uh, Goliath. And once again, we see that Amalek, which is an anti-spirit, is working all through the generations. And there's two dinners over here. And I, I proclaim that each one of us will go to the banquet of Yeshua HaMashiach. But we can see the counterfeit all the time when when God says, I'll feed you to the birds, Amalek says, I'll feed you to the birds. And we see this in the story of, of King David and, uh, and Goliath and many other places. So it, it, it just wanted to bring that out, the connection, as, as we can see uh, the importance of that. Okay, we're commanded in the Word of God as believers to celebrate the Feast of Purim. We understand the meaning of it. In Esther chapter 9, verses 27 to 29, the Jews established and made a custom of themselves and for all their descendants, and for all those who allied with them, so that they would not fall, would not fail to celebrate these days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So those days were remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of forum will not fail from among the Jews, or their memory fade from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, and Mordechai, the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. So we can see that we're the descendants of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're grafted into Israel. We're spiritually Israel, and therefore this feast applies to all of us here, but it's prophetically pointing to the second coming of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. So once again, we always like to say, if it's in the Bible, we follow it. If it's not in the Bible, we don't follow it. There's no doubt about it that the book of Esther is in the Bible, and we are to celebrate it, but in the prophetic meaning, understanding what it means. 
what's happening with Israel right now with the anti-Semitism happening around the world and with Iran trying to wipe out Israel, which has always been. But the Jews in Israel in general are sensing that there is going to be a second Holocaust. You hear it all the time. They're, they're, they say we're sensing there's a second Holocaust. Now, in the spiritual aspect, there is a second Holocaust against the body of Yeshua. We understand the spirit behind all this anti-Semitism against the Jews around the world. What happened to the rabbi in Argentina? What happened in France? What happened in Greece last week? What's happening even in Israel? Uh, it, it's all that Amalek spirit operating behind the scenes. Now, we're using that fear of the Jews thinking there's going to be a second Holocaust to preach the gospel because they don't have any hope. The hope is only through Yeshua HaMashiach, and that's our message here in Israel and around the world to the Jews and to all people. So to answer your question, there's a big fear in Israel because they know. They know that ultimately, yes, God can use the IDF to defend Israel. God can use government to defend Israel. But ultimately, it's going to be the hand of Yeshua, the hand of God, that is going to defend Israel and defend the nations. And the only way to do that is to turn back to him. And that's what we're doing here in Israel. Uh, so to answer your question, there is a big fear in Israel. Uh, if you're going to ask me about Benjamin Netanyahu, I'll go back to the political side. Do I think or do, does the average Israeli believe or think that this so-called uh, fake indictment that they're trying to do against him is going to work? No, they see right through it, and they know that it is a political trick to try to get Benjamin Netanyahu by the left out of his seat because they know that they can't defeat Benjamin Netanyahu at the ballots, so they have to do this trick. So the, I'm not saying that it's not going to influence at all, but the average Israeli, I've spoken to a lot of people in the streets of Israel, a lot of people in the malls, a lot of people in, in, in various places in Israel, the average Israeli sees it for what it is. It's a political witch hunt. Sounds exactly like what we have going on in the United States right now. It's amazing. These two two nations on the opposite sides of the earth, yet so closely related because of Yeshua and uh, the end times. And, and folks, um, if you're not awake, it would be a good time right now to wake up. There is a work to be done, as Zev has been talking about here. This book is... Uh, this book that he, we mentioned it before in the beginning, the rabbi, the secret message and the identity of Messiah, this is a tool that not only explains to you what happened in the story of Rabbi Kaduri, but there is, there is actual tools in here on how you can witness to your Jewish friends. And folks, listen, God wants us to witness to everybody, Jew and Gentile. And we've been reaching the Gentiles for many years, but right now the door is being also opened back up to those who were born Jewish, the, the natural born, and the Lord wants us to reach them too. And he'll use a Gentile, he'll use anybody. Matter of fact, he even uses donkeys when necessary to get someone's attention. That's the way the Lord works, and he's asking us to get on board and to be a part of this. I want to encourage you to get this book and to read it um, so that you can find out not only what happened, but maybe the Lord can show you something in here through this book on how you could witness and reach out to your Jewish friends out there. Zev, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this good information. Now, you're going to be coming to the United States here soon for the Hear the Watchman conference. Share with us a little bit quickly about that. Coming up March 28th to the 31st in Dallas, Texas. You can read all about it at hearthewatchman.com, or you can go to my website, Messiah of Israel Ministries. There is a banner there on the top on the uh, slideshow, and you can click there and go direct there. 
if you can still get tickets, they're almost sold out. I heard they're sold out 98%. You can use the promo code ZIF20 to get a discount on the live stream or on the actual event. It's called Sounding the Alarm. Now, this conference, Sounding the Alarm, you think about Sounding the Alarm is only for non-believers to wake up to Yeshua, and it is, but it's also for us believers to wake up, to turn to Messiah Yeshua, to die in Messiah Yeshua daily, and to repent and to turn to him, to receive his manna, his word. There's an amazing lineup of speakers over there, Brother Frank, and I encourage everybody to come and, and to make the effort to be there because it's going to be transformation there. There's going to be deliverance. It's going to be a time of fellowship. It's going to be a time of the body to unite together. It's not just a conference where people get hyped up for three, four days and go home. This is a conference of remembrance, a conference of, and just think about it, the conference happens between the time of Purim, the story of Esther, and between the feast of Passover, where the Lord died on the cross for our sins and rose in three days, just between that time frame, and you can see what God is going to do. So I encourage you to come. I'd love to see you over there at Hear the Watchmen Conference, Sounding the Alarm, in Dallas, Texas, March 28th to the 31st. Well, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight, folks. Please check out this new book, The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of Messiah. It is a wonderful blessing just of the miracles God has done using this old Kabbalistic rabbi to reveal himself to, just like he revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, a man who was slaughtering the church. God will use anybody. And look at this, listen to the other amazing stories Zev shared with us about the new well-known rabbi just came to salvation. Listen, they've learned this in missionary work around the world. If you can go into a village, if you can get the chief, you can get the whole village. And the Lord Amen. is very uh, amazing the way he works many times uh, when he'll reach one particular person, and that will just flow from there out to other people. So God bless you, Zev. God bless uh, your ministry, Messiah of Israel Ministries. You can check him on the web, catch him on Facebook and on YouTube. Please don't forget to like him and like the Remnant Call. And with all that, I would like to say this is Brother Frank and Brother Zev on the Remnant Call tonight saying good night and shalom. Yeah.